Welcome back to another exciting episode of Seeking God's Truth. Sorry I didn't post an episode last week because I was on a trip with my wife and did not have anything prepared, which kind of falls into what we are talking about today. This episode is loaded with lots of scriptures and a lot of material, so please bear with me as we continue our series about society. We recall back to Romans 12, 4 through 14, where the first part of this series we talked about community. On the second part, we talked about our friends and our acquaintances. And then we talked about our family. In a smaller part of that family, we're going to talk about our spouses. The basic unit of any society is that of the relationship between of a man and a wife. Whether it's the modern society that we live in, or it's one that is completely closed off to modern times. Marriage cannot exist without the bond of a loving marriage especially for our society to exist. We not only have to have people in our society, we need marriages that also have family in those marriages, which may or may not consist of children. So how do we define a marriage? For right now, legally, marriage consists as two individuals who marry under the law. Before as Christians under Genesis 2.24, it says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is clearly stating that, that it is a man who leaves his parents that joins a wife. This is the first mentioning of man and woman joining together, which also implies that one man, one woman makes one marriage, one flesh. We can also see that God wanted us to have single wife marriages. The first recorded polygamy marriage was... In Genesis 4.19, Lamech was a descendant of Cain. He married Ada and Zillah. Because he had broke the marital bond, the murderous tendencies of his bloodline continued. I will discuss more on polygamy a little bit later. But right now we're going to talk a little bit more about what marriage looks like in America. Up until the last 20 years, marriage was only between a man and a woman. Now the definition between marriage has changed depending on who you talk to. It could be man and a woman, same sex, and in some cases, multi-spouse families. For the United States, the first states to legalize gay marriage in 2003 was Massachusetts. According to U.S. News, the 14th Amendment made gay marriage legal throughout the United States. Some states are still fighting back such as Kansas, Iowa, South Dakota, and Tennessee. We can also see things like polygamy trying to become legal too. There are some shows on television that are showing that some families are actually seeking legislation to make it legal to marry their spouses in a polygamy family. This is because currently that in most states it is illegal to marry more than one person. And in some states it's also criminal and you can serve jail time. So what does a marriage look like to Christians? As we talk about marriages, we're going to focus on Genesis 2.24. When God intended that one man marrying one woman will equal one flesh. So we can see that in Proverbs 18.22, it says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. This is implying that a man finding a wife is something good. That this is a gift of humanity going back to the first marriage of Adam and Eve. Blessing both man and woman. Blessing both as a whole and individual levels. For example, in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Even God knew that man would get in trouble without a woman. So God made it a point that man was not intended to be left alone. Once the man finds the right wife, the marriage receives favor with God. I think it's important to note Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. When I discuss other types of marriages, it all makes sense. So contrary to people's beliefs, Charles Darwin was a Christian. On his voyage to prove the theory of evolution, he was actually trying to disprove his theory of evolution. Unfortunately, there was too much evidence to prove it. 
This is when he developed the concept of survival of the fittest. And this does not mean that the strongest person will survive. The theory was more that the person that had more children would be the person that would survive because the traits of the genes would be spread longer because they had more children. And this is why most species are non-monogamous. Some human societies do this because of the number of people in the area and their beliefs. Let's turn it back to marriage and focus on gay marriage. And not what I say about gay marriage, but what the Bible says. I'm not going to go into much detail about this, because this is going to be for another episode. According to people of Ethical Treatment of Animals Foundations of UK, they claim that homosexuality and heterosexuality behaviors are in both the animal kingdom and is in nature. I will leave it there for now, because this is for a larger debate later. For now, we'll concentrate on the active sin for the humans. There's many out there that believe that the Bible does not say that homosexuality is a sin. I found this passage when I was just leisurely reading the Bible. Leviticus 18.22 God said to Moses, Do not have sexual relationships with a man, as one does with a woman. That is detestable. This is the first mentioning of black and white that God said that homosexuality is a sin. And not only that it's a sin, that it's detestable. There are many other references of homosexuality being a sin, but I think this is the most impacting because it is the first mentioning of it, and it's coming from God's mouth. Looking at Darwin's perspective, Metaphorically, survival of the fittest will not apply with homosexuality because they will not survive because their genes will not flourish. Though some might be able to still conceive a child, but they will be untraditional ways. Homosexuality goes against God's plan because same-sex marriage does not progress to his people, only separates them. As we see in 1 Corinthians 6.9 Or do you not know the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immorality, nor idolater, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. This part of the scripture speaks only of the sexual immorality acts. It also says that homosexuality is a sin. And that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that they're bad people, I'm just saying that this is what the Bible scripture is saying. Some argue that this is an Old Testament concept, but obviously this is in the New Testament. When I was trying to come up with this week's message, I was researching this topic. I found that one group was saying that Jesus never said that homosexuality was a sin. Well, we know that in Hebrews 13:8, Jesus is the same as yesterday and today and tomorrow. This is a hard concept for people to understand. Much like God, God's nature does not change over time, and neither does Jesus. Jesus is the same as yesterday, as he is today, as he was tomorrow. He is both the past, present, and future. This shows us that we should not expect anything new. Jesus believed in the same principles as the Old Testament as he believed in the New Testament. And how do we know this is because that Jesus was the Son of God and believed in the same principles as his Father. And then some said that he did not explicitly say that homosexuality was a sin. When I was researching it, I almost gave into that theory and I almost gave up. But then we find in Matthew 19, 4-6, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning of the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they will no longer be two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Though Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about divorce, we can see that he was referring back to Genesis 2.24, that one man and one woman makes one flesh. 
So it is obvious that Jesus still applied that he believed in the Old Testament principles. Again, for now we're going to leave homosexuality there because again, I want to leave that for a bigger topic because I have so much more to say and it's going to be dedicated for a whole episode. For now we're going to move on to polygamy. Well, we'll find that many people in polygamy relationships in the Bible struggle a lot because of their sins. Some may argue that polygamy was alright in the Bible because it was accepted and it was practiced. Sure, and there's some religious circles that do practice polygamy, and even Christianity did. I know Catholics at one point in their history allowed polygamy, but now they forbid it. As we know now that Jesus and God both agree that one man, one woman equals one flesh. We see that Lamech was the first example of polygamy, and the sins of his father followed him. And some of you might say that that's only one example. So right now I'm going to give you chunks of scripture, but I'm going to give you a synopsis of what's going on because it's a lot of scripture. The second recorded history of polygamy was Abram's in Genesis 15:2 through 5. God promised Abram's heir for his possessions. Abram and his wife Sarah were growing impatient. So in Genesis 16:2 through 3, Sarah tells Moses, "So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family with her." Abram agreed to what Shuri said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Shuri, his wife, took the Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. This was a hedge plan by Shuri for Abram to have a heir for his possessions. And it was for him to sleep with the servant. This was the first time that polygamy was used for lack of faith. Because of this sin, Hagar's son, Ishmael, goes on to form a nation called the Israelites, which are now known as Muslims. His people go out and cause war against people of God for hundreds of years, which go on to today. The last example I want to give is Gideon, Judges chapter 6 through chapter 8. The Lord showed favor in Gideon of the Israelites. Gideon was quite skeptical about his favor because he did not see the promises that to his ancestors that were supposed to be given. Him and his people believed that God had abandoned them. Gideon believed that he was weak in his family and his clan was even weaker. But God wanted to save the Israelites from the Midians. It took Gideon asking the angel of God to show a sign to prove that he is who he said he is. So of course God did as he was promised and saved the Israelites. After defeating the Midians... In Judges 8.27 says, Gideon made the goal into an ephod, which was placed in Ophra, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. We can see that Gideon's on his way to sin by making an idol of worship. And then Judges 8.30 said that he had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. It does not specify the number of wives he had, but we know that he was practicing polygamy. It does not specify also what his death was, but shortly after his death, no one seemed to care about when he died, and his one son, his rule was not that long, and his one son, Allah Medic, became quite greedy, and had all of his other brothers murdered, except for one, and that was only because he was hidden. There were some arguments that I did see online about why would the Bible accept polygamy at the time. The short answer is, according to Darwin, that human race was just starting and that there was not many people or options. Another reason why I saw was that outlook. Because at the time, women were uneducated and untrained, so they had to find some different means of having money and a way to survive. 
Also, women had no power other than being with a man. Also, being with a man didn't mean they had power. It just meant that they could survive and had resources. But in the end, there's no excuse for sin. So let's leave behind homosexuality and polygamy for now. And let's talk about how we should treat our spouses. There are some people that misinterpret some of these verses or take them too literally. Because according to the Bible, both man and woman have duties to each other. Such as in Deuteronomy 24.5, If a man has recently taken a wife, he must not be sent to war or have any other duties laid on him. For one year he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. This sounds like a wonderful concept, but we don't live in a society where we can just stay at home for a year. So staying at home is kind of impractical for a whole year. But this is God's way of blessing the covenant of marriage. I mean, the day after I got married, I was sent to the field because I was in the army. But that doesn't mean that you can stop making your wife happy in the same process. And I also think that applies for women, too. Husbands will find the most happiness if he finds happiness in his wife. Then we have 1 Corinthians 7.3. A husband should fulfill his marital duties to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. This is implying a lot of things, one of which is sexual. Man and woman should not withhold touch from one another if they're married. They are also obligated to do other duties with each other. Then we have in 1 Corinthians 7.13. And if a woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Biblically, this is one of the only reasons a person can divorce you is if you were married to someone who was an unbeliever. But it is written, if the person is willing to live with you, you cannot divorce them. Me and my wife lived like this for many years. Up until about five or six years ago, I was an unbeliever. But I never prevented my wife from believing what she wanted to believe. But at the time of the Corinthians, they believed that they were glorified by God if they were both believers. And that their marriage could not be glorified if one of them was not a believer. And that it was okay to be divorced. As long as the non-believing spouse is fine with the other spouse believing, then the divorce is not okay with God's eyes. Let's talk about the one subject nobody likes to talk about. Adultery. We know adultery on many different levels is a sin. We know that Abram tried to allow rulers to sleep with his wife, but God would not agree with that. For example, in Genesis 12, Abram presented his wife to the Pharaoh as his sister. When the Pharaoh took the wife into his bed, God inflicted a plague on the Pharaoh's people. This upset the Pharaoh, so the Pharaoh sent the wife back to Abram. You would think that Abram would have learned his lesson the first time. When Genesis 20, Abram now Abraham, for a while they stayed in Geir, where again, Abraham said that his wife was his sister to Abimelech, but he had a dream of God and then told him that he would be struck dead if he would sleep with the married woman. So he returned to married woman so he would not be put to sin. So now we get to where God put this in writing in Exodus 20:14. In the most simplest terms, you shall not commit adultery. So we see that this is the first time that God delivers to Moses publicly about cheating on your wife. And then Jesus says in Matthew 5:28, But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus was saying that even the thought of adultery was just as bad as the act. These are acts such as committing adultery, viewing porn, or even reading about it, or committing adultery. That we should run from the acts and we should stay away from them. 
The Bible also mentions that wives should be submissive to the husband. Some think that women do not have control over their own bodies as the Bible might imply. As we see in 1 Corinthians 7.4, The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her own husband. It is said that this obligation is concrete. It is said that this obligation is concrete that her own body does not belong to herself but it also could be said that her husband's body does not belong to him but to her. This does not mean a husband can abuse his wife physically, sexually, or otherwise. In 1 Peter 3.1 says that, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husband so that, in any of them who do not believe in the word, they may be won without words by the behaviors of their wives. Submission is not a reward for her husband's good behavior. Submission is not only an act, it is also from the heart, such as we submit to our teachings of Jesus. It is not only a call for love, it is also a call to authority. For a wife to submit to her husband is not losing a piece of yourself. It means that you're submitting to one man and no other. A wife's expression of submission is a trust for God. This kind of faith and obedience can do great things even without words. The last thing I'm going to talk about is how marriage is everlasting. Marriage should last as long as a person should live. Again, in 1 Corinthians 7:39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but must belong to the Lord. Most of society has forgotten this principle. It is one of the reasons why divorce rates are so high. While marriage vows changed from until death to us part till while love shall last. I even heard the other day on television that a relationship can't last on love, which that's the basis of all relationships. Finally, I want to mention Luke 16:18, which says anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman has committed adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman committed adultery. So here we know that both Jesus and Apostle Paul mentioned that the only grounds to divorce biblically were sexual immorality and unbelieving spouses. Other than that, if a man divorced his wife and married, would commit adultery. Or if a man married a divorced woman, he would commit adultery. So now that we've wrapping up this episode, we see that all societies are made up of generally men, women, children, young and old. As mentioned in the past two episodes, most societies and communities are made up of friends, families, acquaintances, and even strangers. The two basic relationships of any relationships are the spouses of man and woman, which originally came from Adam and Eve. From Adam and Eve, we learn that from Adam and Eve, we learn that marriage is made up of man, woman making up one flesh, not multiple relationships or same-sex marriage. We also see that men should treat their women with love and not withhold love from their spouses. God has also let us know that women's submission is not merely a negative thing or what we might think it is. Showing submission is a test of our faith and obedience to our God. Showing submission to our spouse is showing that we love our spouse and that we only belong to one spouse. We know that in previous episodes, adultery is a sin. And this is probably why polygamy is probably not part of God's plan. And that most people believe that love is everlasting, but what never really is the case. Some of the issues in this episode I will mention later on in further episodes. There's just way too much material that I have that I would like to use, but it would take away from the subject at hand. I was going to do an episode about self in this episode, but I think I'm not going to. So I think that this epi- series is concluded. So I'll stay tuned for the next week's episode, and I'm currently trying to work on a website for this podcast i'll let you guys know about the progress of that when it's all up and running i want to say thank you for listening you can contact me at sgodstruth at outlook.com
on Twitter at sgodstruth, or you can search for me on Facebook at Seeking God's Truth. So drop a message and let me know how it was. Be afraid to tell me what I can improve on and what can I um, do more for the show and an idea for an episode. Thank you and God bless.